Good evening. Thank you for coming back on this holiday weekend and spending time in the Lord's house, looking at his word, and tonight we are going to be spending a lot more time in the word. I've been kind of philosophical the last uh, two Sunday nights in this particular study, and tonight I'm going to start doing some exegesis and continuing that in uh, the weeks to come. My goal is to be extremely practical, but I'm trying to lay a foundation as, as we go. And please bear with me. Tonight doesn't end this topic. And uh, I would ask that you try to stay with me in my thinking process. I've been trying to address changes that are taking place in theological thought, and many of them almost on generational lines. Uh, Tonight, the theme is, as Christians, we need to be consistent in our moral outrage. The former trend in evangelicalism, and uh, that continues with the older generation, if you will, the former trend in evangelicalism was to be more outraged by sexual sins and the sin of homosexual behavior in particular as opposed to other sins. So what really kind of went off the mark, okay, is, is the church has come down hard on sexual sins, and especially homosexuality, and has made that the, the worst of all sexual sins. The more recent trend in evangelicalism is to be more outraged by the evils of racism, sexism, exploitation of the poor, and the general indifference to the suffering and hardships of those around us as opposed to sexual sins. The younger generation is focusing more on the poor and the needy and, and uh, the need to alleviate oppression. And uh, as a result, much less emphasis on sexual sins, living together, premarital sex, homosexuality, whatever the case may be. This whole series is about trying to get a balance, about trying to get our head around all of these issues in hopefully a helpful way. So I begin tonight by saying we need to read our Bibles carefully and thoughtfully and not put our emphasis on the wrong syllable. And uh, that's much harder than you might think. There's a, it is hard to read the Bible without all of the teaching that we have gotten by what our culture tells us, it's hard to read the Bible like you're reading it for the first time. And so one of the things I would encourage you to do when you read the Bible, actually two things. When you read the Bible, and especially when you study the Bible, but I'd say even like when you're reading your Bible through in a year, two things I'd encourage you to do. One, don't use an underlined Bible. Don't use a, a marked Bible. Don't use a Bible where you've recorded stuff whether it be your own thoughts or things that you have heard. Because when you see that, it takes you immediately back to the same old ideas that you had. It reminds you of what you already heard. It reminds you of what you already thought. Come with a blank page so that when you read, you're not going to be immediately reminded of some previous thought or idea, no matter where it came from. Secondly, commentaries are great but use them at the end. 
after you've worked through, after you've thought through, then go to the commentaries and see if your thoughts are just totally out there or if there isn't somebody that is on the same page with you are. But use that last, because if you start there, then you're going to be thinking down that train of thought. So start with the scriptures, start with a clean slate. Next, we should be concerned about all sins. And so tonight we're going to begin by looking at lessons from Sodom, and we're not going to exhaust that, but it's where we're going to begin tonight. Lessons from the primary guilt of Sodom. What was it of which Sodom was guilty? The body, the, the, the Bible tells us clearly. And I would submit to you that most people that have gone through Sunday school, brought up in the church, and not just our church, but evangelicalism, would say that the sin of Sodom was homosexuality. Okay? Let's look at that. What was, the, what was it of which Sodom was guilty? The Bible tells us clearly, Ezekiel 16, 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Okay, Here was Sodom's problem. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Now, when you first read that, it, it kind of strikes you as odd, I think, that that was the primary sin of Sodom. How could that be? Why would they be destroyed for something like that? Keep that in the back of your mind. Sodom was guilty of arrogance or seeking to live independently of God. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. She had pride, wanting to live independently of God, wanting to live without God in control of their lives. What I'm getting at is we're looking at root sins. We're going to see that homosexuality and some of these other things are the, are the leaves on the branches. Okay? But the root of it is pride, arrogance. Okay? It's back to what the scriptures are going to, that there are two primary evils. The failure to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the pride aspect. Okay? And she and her daughters had pride. Sodom was guilty of having selfishly used its resources while they were surrounded with people in need. Sodom was blessed with a great many resources. Ezekiel 16.49 says she had excess of food and prosperous ease. However, they, that is the Sodomites, did not do anything to alleviate the hardships of the poor and the needy, but did not aid the poor and the needy. And then it says that Sodom was guilty of a great abomination. Verse 50, they were haughty. That's back to the pride aspect. Okay, they, they left God and all his teaching and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Now, the, the common thing is to say, well, what is that abomination? And then here's where the homosexuality comes in. This could be referring to homosexuality. Leviticus 18.22 says, You should not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And certainly the, the Sodomites were guilty of that. Okay? They were committing homosexual acts. That's blatantly clear. Many people 
want to put homosexuality in the category of sin all by itself because it is an abomination. If you read books from a Christian perspective on, on homosexuality, it's very common for this verse to come up and say, homosexuality is an abomination before God, as though that means it is the greatest sin before God because God calls it an abomination. Well, God does call it an abomination. But you might be surprised at what else the Bible calls an abomination. For notice Proverbs 16, 6, 16 and following. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Same word. Haughty eyes. Now that's interesting. Because that's the first in this list, and the first in the list in Ezekiel is they were proud. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Person who stirs up strife between believers. These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven, and they are abominations. Okay. So E, for all of these reasons, Sodom was destroyed. So I removed it when I saw it. Okay. We, you could pick any of those things homosexuality, all those things, and Sodom was destroyed. But here's the, the thought provoking. Statement. However, Israel was viewed as being worse than Sodom. Ezekiel 16, 48. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. That is saying Sodom didn't even do what you Israelites did. This is Ezekiel rebuking the nation of Israel. What you did was worse than Sodom, is what this Verse is saying. Jeremiah 23, 14. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and his inhabitants like Gomorrah. Now notice what is missing from that list, and that is homosexuality. I'm not trying to defend homosexuality, okay? I'm going to make that absolutely clear at the end of this, okay? I'm not at all going down that road. All I'm saying, it's, it's, it's interesting that that's not what it appears, and adultery does. Because there's a tendency in modern evangelicalism to put like premarital sex down here, living together down here, adultery up here, and homosexuality up here. That's, but sexual sins in the scripture are, are, are sexual sins. I'll, I'll say more about that in the future. But, but number one, the idea that the Israelites were worse than the people of Sodom would be a shocking and unacceptable thought to the Israelites. Okay, They recoiled at that. You need to understand that. The Israelites were offended that anybody would say that a prophet of Israel would say that they were worse than the Sodomites. They, they couldn't take that. There's no way that they were going to believe that. 
Is that a shocking and unacceptable thought to us? Think about that. Is that shocking and unacceptable that God said that Israel and their sin was worse than Sodom? I'm going to to save that statement. Okay, moving on. Lessons from the incidents that took place in Sodom. First, Lot acted righteously in respect to the strangers that came to Sodom. What did that righteousness look like? Here we see the issues of social justice. So we begin with number one. Two strangers came to Sodom. Genesis 19.1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bound himself with his face to the earth. Now we're looking at what does righteousness look like. And the scripture tells us clearly in in Peter that Lot was a righteous person. So how did Lot act righteously? What did he do that was righteous? What does righteousness look like? Well, first, Lot provides shelter, food, and protection for the strangers. Lot provided shelter for the strangers and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Now, I apologize because I have more material that's not on your handout. Okay? This was a, a very busy week. I'm not apologizing, but I was up late and stayed up late and got up early in order to prepare all the messages and stuff. And this afternoon I kept working on this and especially trying to get this point across. I, I, and I was praying and I was saying, Lord, you know, how, how, do, how do I get this across and show me more than what I'm getting out of this text? And, uh, and I was praying and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a, a word study on hospitality. And um, two passages came. I, I wish I had this for you. I, you probably didn't bring a Bible. There are Bibles under the pew. You listen to the one, and uh, I'd like you to see the second one, because it's kind of striking. First, Timothy 5.9 says, Let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, if, she's, if she has shown hospitality to strangers. Showing hospitality for strangers comes up time and time again in the scriptures as that's what a righteous person does. But turn, if you've got your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 28. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. That's gratitude to God. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence in all. So show to God acceptable service with reverence with all. Don't be proud, but 
show acceptable service to God. Why? Answer, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, look at the next statement. Let love of the brethren continue. Forget about the chapter division. This flows right into one thought. For our God is a consuming fire. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. What is that referring to? What story do you know of somebody entertaining angels unaware and there's consuming fire coming down out of heaven? That's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Serve God acceptably or fire could down, down from heaven But serving God acceptably is by entertaining strangers unaware. Now notice what Lot did. Back to the handout. Lot provided the strangers with food. Genesis 19. Three. But he pressed them strongly... So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, you've got to remember that the Bible doesn't waste words. The end of the book of John said that if the things that should be written, of all the things that Jesus did, the world could not contain them. So we've got just a small view of all the things that Jesus did, all the things that Jesus said. Every single word is important. And, and that's why, you know, when I read the Bible and I, you know, we, we go almost word by word and I underline each word because every word is precious in the Bible. So why does the Bible take time to tell us that he made them a feast, baked unleavened bread, and they ate? What in the world has that got to do with anything? Why not just cut to the chase? These people were in his house. People gathered around. Why do we need to know that he made them a feast? Answer, because that's what a righteous person does. Because the people of Sodom didn't care about the poor and needy. They were unrighteous. Lot is is righteous. And so he's doing what God would have him to do. Care for the stranger. Care for the poor and needy. And Lot provided protection for the strangers. The men of the city wanted to have a sexual relationship to the men in Lot's house. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people... To the last man surround the house. That's how bad this city was. Everybody, old, young. And they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And of course, that's a euphemism for having sex. Number two, Lot 
provided protection for the strangers at his own risk. Lot put himself between the crowd and the strangers. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. So you can picture it. Here's this crowd gathered around, and they're hollering for Lot to send out these strangers so that they can do these unthinkable things to them. And Lot opens the door, steps out, shuts the door behind him, protecting the strangers, and faces this mob by himself. Okay? Because a righteous person seeks to protect those that are going to be abused, those that are going to be taken advantage of, etc., etc. D. Lot confronted the crowd concerning their sinfulness. Lot treated the members of this crowd with respect and identified with them. Now this is, this is amazing stuff. Genesis 19.7. And said, I beg you, my brothers... What an interesting approach that Lot has to this unruly crowd. I beg you, my brothers. He's identifying with his people. He doesn't just say, you miserable, wretched, but he says, I beg you, my brothers. But Lot did speak of the crowd's sinfulness. He said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. This is a a wicked thing that you are about to do. Lot provides an alternative to placate the crowd. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Now you stop there for a minute. When, when you read that verse, that ought to be absolutely shocking to you. Can you remember the first time that you read your Bible through and you read that? Didn't that just kind of send chills down your spine? Didn't, didn't you say to yourself, how could somebody do that? How could somebody Say, here are my virgin daughters. You can have them, and you can do anything you want with them. Just don't do anything to these guys. What in the world would motivate someone to do that? Why would Lot ever do something like that? That's why it's important to know what righteousness looks like. So number three, why would Lot have offered his daughters to the men of Sodom? Where was Lot misguided in his reasoning? Okay, I think we can all agree that that was not the right thing to do, although he was righteous. Righteous people do some unrighteous things. So where was he misguided in his understanding what righteousness looks like? Well, I think... We have the answer by looking at his rationale. Lot tells the crowd why they shouldn't do this. 
So here's the justification. He mentions three things. First, Lot understood that the homosexual rape of these men was wicked. Do not act so wickedly. Lot failed to realize that the rape of his daughters would not have been any less wicked. Behold, I have two daughters. He says, don't do so wickedly. Don't do this horribly terrible thing. Instead, do this less wicked thing. A lesser of two evils. Thinking it was better because homosexuality is so bad, it's better to give them my two daughters and let them rape my two daughters because at least it's not a homosexual act. He's comparing righteousness here. And I think that's problem number one. Okay. Once again, there's a tendency to think of homosexuality as being more egregious than other sexual sins. Number two. Well, and, and so how could he have arrived at that conclusion? Again, I hope that we're shocked by that and a righteous person. But what would have made him come to that conclusion? Now, that's speculation. There's nothing to answer that. Culture, whatever the case may be. But I don't think it's, it's, the, it's the Bible. I just don't think it's the scriptures. It's important to know what righteousness looks like. Next, Lot was misguided in thinking that he had a greater responsibility to lose men than he did his own family. For here's the second reason he gives. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do not to these men, for, here's the reason, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Don't do this because they've come to live under my roof for protection. So it's my moral obligation to protect him. Now he's right. It was his moral obligation to protect those two strangers that he didn't know were angels, but it was his moral responsibility to protect them. But was it not also his moral responsibility to protect his daughters? Guess where they lived? They were under his roof. He says, let me bring them out. They were in his house. He had the mistaken understanding that he had a greater moral responsibility for these strangers than he did his own house. And what I'm doing is slowly, slowly, slowly trying to unwrap a a whole onion of ideas that are just kind of really foreign today, that are flying all over the place, that nobody gives much thought about. At least, I don't think people give much thought about, because I don't see much written about it. Okay? The daughters in the house were just as important as the strangers in the house. Right? Can you say amen if you believe that? Amen. Okay, good. 
Now, I'm going to extrapolate a long distance because I, I want to show you application that's eventually going to come out of all this stuff. Okay? I think that there's a lot of wrong thinking today because people think that certain groups are more important than other groups. There's a more of a tendency to be excited when a black person comes to faith or a Spanish person comes to faith than there is when a white person comes to faith. Or when somebody over there comes to faith or somebody here comes to faith. And now listen to this one. People are more excited when someone over there who has never heard comes to faith than they are when their own children come to faith. People will say, I've had people say to me, has anybody come to believe the gospel in your church? They're thinking, somebody off the street, they're thinking, homeless person, nothing wrong with homeless people coming. That's not my point. But what I'm saying is, they just totally overlook a young person who was born into sin and who is alienated from, from the presence of God comes to Sunday school, hears the gospel, their parents witness to them, and they come to faith at five and six and seven-year-olds. And can't get excited because all the people that were baptized this year were 12 and 13. And they came to faith when they were five. What's wrong with us? Man, we ought to be excited that kids are coming to faith. We ought to be excited what's happening everywhere. But somehow we have bought into this idea that strangers are more important than our own family. Or we just assume because they're a family they're going to come to faith. Well, don't just assume that. There are a lot of Christian Families who have children that haven't come to faith. Be thankful. Be blessed. Be appreciative. But that's a problem, as I see it. Okay? Next. Uh, Let's see. Where am I? Turn the page. I mean, I, I have a different handout than you've got. Okay. C, Lot was misguided in thinking that a sinful response was the only way out of the situation. So, as he saw it, he had two alternatives. Either he gave him the men, or he gave him the daughters. That's the only way out that he saw it. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happens today, time and time again, in fighting against sin and evil. 
The answer is, well, then we must do something that goes against the Bible in order to stop this greater evil. What we need to do is the same thing that Lot needed to do, and that was to trust God. Who wonderfully preserved and kept, and of course you know the story, the people were struck with blindness, and they couldn't get in, and God wonderfully spared the angels and graciously spared Lot's children. Because God was powerful enough. Today's evangelicalism doesn't believe that God is powerful enough and believes that we have to do sinful things in order to overcome a greater sin. We don't. We don't. We don't have to exaggerate sinfulness. We don't have to minimize other aspects of sinfulness. We have to be faithful to God and his word, and believe that in being faithful to God and his word, that he will work and move. So let's keep on. Concluding observations. A. The two great commandments are, you've been hearing me say this a lot, to love God with your entire being. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, to love others in the same way that you love yourself. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. A second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. All of God's word is an explanation of those two things. Loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, if that is true, then... The two great sins, that's what Jesus said, is a failure to love God or a failure to love others the way you love yourself. That puts all of these other things, the social justice issues, the personal sexual issues, all in that category of loving one another. I'm just simply saying to you, we don't pick and choose what righteousness looks like. We don't say it's sexual sins, we don't say it's failure to be concerned about the oppressed and being concerned about people who are needy. We're concerned about all that. All of that is important. And we shouldn't be fighting generationally about which is the one that we ought to be doing. The answer is we ought to be doing both. We ought to be concerned about both. We should be concerned about all. Then moving on. Lot was righteous because he was seeking to love God and he was seeking to love his neighbor as himself. He didn't do it perfectly, but that's what he was trying to do. And you can see it in those simple little acts of showing hospitality. But you, but you see, that might seem like a small thing, but that's what a righteous person does to sh- extend hospitality, to be concerned about other people. You see, 
I'm now going to speak out of both sides of my mouth because there's a balance in these things. Okay, and I'm going to try to unpack that more and more. And I'm going to talk more about homosexuality next, next, uh, next, next time in a little different way. So let me get to the point of tonight's lesson. A, it is not that we lower our view of the sin of homosexuality so that it is no worse than other sexual sins. That's not what I'm saying. Don't go away and hear me say that. I'm not saying that homosexuality is no worse than adultery, or premarital sex. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that premarital sex and adultery is just as bad as homosexuality. You get the world of difference there? I'm not saying let's bring this standard down. I'm saying let's bring this standard up. Let us realize that part of where we are today is because we've lowered this standard. Marriage has become unimportant. We're concerned because now marriage is facing this bigger issue of homosexuals wanting to marry. Well, how did we get there? Because we didn't care about the sanctity of marriage. Because we were putting up with adultery. We were putting up with people living together. So what's the natural thing? It just keeps pushing the envelope. The problem is back here. It didn't just arise overnight. It isn't like we wake up and, wow, how did we get there? There's a logical progression. And to solve the issue, we got to deal with all of those things. So that was B. C. And further, that we just not focus on sexual sins, but realize the gravity of the sins of failing to care and provide for others. Sexual sins are leaves on trees that have as its roots a failure to love one another. It's selfish to engage in that kind of activity. It is self-centered. It is not caring about other people. The individual somehow becomes more important than everybody else. There was just an article this week concerning a transgender student. Okay? A 17-year-old male who declared that he is a female. And he uh, dons a wig and wears a dress. And he's coming to school. And he wants to take a shower in the girls' locker room with the other girls. Because he's a girl in his mind. Okay? Now, the school offered the opportunity to have his own personal shower 
where he could shower alone. But that wasn't good enough because he was a girl and he wanted to shower with the girls. And he should not be ostracized. He should not be made to feel poor, etc., etc., etc. And so the lawsuit and the decision that he ought to be able to shower with the girls. But what about how they feel? What about their being uncomfortable and taking a shower with a person who has male anatomy? Okay, How have we gotten to a place where personal individual rights are more important than all these other people? Because we fail to love others the way we love ourselves. Because what I want and how it affects me is the most important thing. It is just a miserable morose that we've gotten ourselves in. D. The crowd's sin did not start when they gathered around the house to perform their indecent acts. That was just a deeper, richer, fuller manifestation of their not caring about the physical needs and well-being of these other men. Now, notice how I characterize that. Deeper, fuller, richer. So there is a sense of inequality in these sins. I'm going to deal with that next week. E. We need to understand how this failure has led to much of the mess that America is in today. We should be shocked by anything less. G. It is important that we understand what righteousness looks like. So, next time, it's, this is uh, next Sunday is Fellowship Sunday. So, the topic next time is the growing acceptance of homosexuality and why that is. And, think about this one, what I think is the ever-increasing growth of homosexuality itself and why that is. And I don't think it's just because more people are coming out of the closet. As we look at the scripture, I think there are other factors that that we need to consider and to look at. But these are are relevant and pertinent issues. And I'm just saying, I don't think that as evangelicals, we're responding to this very well. I think we're yelling and getting in people's face as opposed to a lot who says, my brothers. We fail to show a lack of care. We fail to show a lack of concern. We are picking on certain things rather than others. And I'm not saying we should condone it by any means, but we need to bring an understanding that raises righteousness. Now, there was a statement I was going to make, and I waited to make it, so I'm going to go back to it if I can find it in my myriad of notes. Oh boy, I got morning notes under here too. What I wanted was, uh, 
Yes, there we go. Back on page, well, it's my page three. Uh, it's uh, F under, however Israel was viewed as being worse than Sodom. Jeremiah 23, verse 14. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. He's speaking of the prophets of Jerusalem. He's speaking of those that are proclaiming the word of God. And what God is most upset about is that the prophets are strengthening the hands of evildoers. How does that happen? How does that happen? One of the ways is to cherry pick so that after a while, people think that what they're doing is not so bad. They're committing sin, but they don't really think about it as sin. And they're being taught, you know, that's not so bad. And we ought to say, yeah, it's all bad. It's all bad. The living together is bad. The premarital sex is bad. The homosexuality is bad. The failure to feed the poor is bad. The failure to be concerned about people who are oppressed is bad. All of it is what we need to stand against. And we should seek the one great message that we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And we are to love our brothers as ourselves, And then sort that out in a righteous way way of which we are obeying all of what the Word of God teaches us to do. And if we do, we're going to have much healthier society and community and church. Next part's coming. Thank you. Uh, Let's pray. Our Father, help us uh, and uh, Lord, I certainly realize I don't have all the answers. I'm coming across like a person who knows it all. Uh, Lord, uh, I know I don't. Uh, And uh, I just pray you'd help us as we work through uh, these things together. Uh, Our desire is simply to honor and glorify you and to live more righteous and holy lives and somehow get grips on how we can influence one another to do that very thing. We don't want to minimize any sin nor do we want to forget the grace of God and the ability to forgive and to cleanse and to make right. Oh, Lord, help us in this difficult task of understanding what righteousness looks like. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, and you are dismissed.